Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. If this is your first time tuning in, then this is a podcast for those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Speaking of a next level, I want to introduce Magic Mind, which is the world's first productivity drink. Lately, I've been experiencing a significant amount of brain fog, lack of focus, and just a general tired feeling. I'm all over the place working on my career, my podcast, speaking, coaching, you name it. I'm jumping from thing to thing to thing. And so having a lack of focus is definitely not ideal. I've tried caffeine pills, coffee. Those things have just really not worked. And so I was very blessed to get introduced to Magic Mind about a month ago. And ever since, it's really helped me maintain a next level because it's got all these natural ingredients like matcha, which gives you energy, aptogens, which helps you relax, honey, which keeps you happy, nootropics, which work with your focus and attention levels. My favorite ingredient is L-theanine, which is actually in matcha. And what that does is helps you with your focus and intention. And for me, having ADHD and having a lack of focus and attention, that helps me tremendously. As mentioned, I've been taking this for about a month, and I can personally tell a huge difference in my productivity. Right now, I have a 40% off code to share with the listeners of Next Level Minds. That code is NEXT20. To use it, you can go to magicmind.co slash next, and then enter in the code NEXT20. 20 to get 40% off of your order today. Now, on to today's guest. I'm sitting down with David Mead. I'm super excited to jump in and ask him some questions, but David is a speaker, consultant, author. What he does is he works with various companies and leaders to help them maintain their cultures and build a high-performance organization, which overall increases well-being, retention, and the whole nine yards there. David is an extremely intelligent individual, and he actually did some time working under Simon Sinek, which is one of my favorite authors. So I'm super excited to dive into some of those learning lessons. If you have not done this already, Please take the time to share the show with a family member, friend, or colleague, and be sure to push that subscribe button. David, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to hop on the Next Level Minds podcast and everything. You got it. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah. So you're uh, you're in Utah, right? Yeah, we are uh, enjoying a nice long spring with lots of rain, which we need. So it's good. Cool. So when it's winter, I, uh, I think we we're just talking about this. You're a big snowboarder too, though, right? Oh yeah, I have been forever. I taught at a resort up here for four years. I got my kids going when they were five years old. It's like it's my thing. Did uh, <laughs> did, did you grow up in that area then, or? Yeah. Um, spent my growing up years here, mostly going to the same resort all the time, actually. Um, worked at that same resort also, but yeah, grew up in Utah. Gotcha. Gotcha. What, was it fun being uh, an instructor and all that? I loved it, dude. It's like, um, you know, every single day, like that was my life was going snowboarding during the wintertime. And then, you know, like real life hits and you can't really do that. Uh, well, that's actually not true. You can do that still, uh, all winter long, every single day, if you want to, there are still a couple of guys that work up at the resort there, um, that have been there since I was there. So you can do that, but I just, uh, I chose to take a different path. 
Yeah, yeah. If you want a particular lifestyle, want to support the family really well and all that, it's a bit tough to do that, isn't it? Yeah, a little tough. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, it goes back to just doing what makes you happy, what funds your lifestyle. So I'm sure there's people totally like it, right? I'm I'm seriously considering going back and doing they have like an after school kind of thing from like five, from five to seven o'clock in the afternoon um, for after school programs for kids, like seriously considering doing that next year just to get up there and, you know, kind of get in that world again. Cause I love yeah. it. Yeah. One of my good friends, he does uh flag football coaching. I'm like, dude, so like, do they pay? And he's like, nah, man, I just love being out there after work and everything. And it's like, cool. I mean, if it makes you happy, go out and do it and everything. So yeah, for sure. But, uh, but yeah, David, I'd love if you could touch on your, your background a little bit. I know kind of your main draw and, and what you provide is really just help uh, leaders and teams maintain and build their culture. Um, so I'd love if you could just share on your background a little bit, kind of how you got into the position that you're doing now. Sure. So I didn't really realize it at the time, but this leadership and culture sort of journey for me started when I was 17 years old. Um, I got a job at a high school. I got a job at a bagel shop and sounds ridiculous, but I have compared every single job that I have had throughout my entire career to that job, just because of how it felt like it was the best job I've ever had. Uh, not counting what I do now. Cause that's, that'd be cheating. But, um, and you look back at it and it was like minimum wage, part-time go nowhere, obviously no sort of career path. Um, it, you know, I mean, like it was 30 minutes away from my house. I, it was downtown. So I had to park in this parking garage and walk through this creepy back alley to get to the employee entrance. Like from, a, from all the, the things that you would think about what would make a job great. It had none of that. But what it had was this incredible guy who was the, the owner of the shop and the culture that he created and the just the way he showed up and the way he made us feel and the connection that he um, helped us to 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 grow and to maintain on that team was like, I will always remember it. Um, he's he's one of he's a, he's what I call a sticky boss. Right. Which means that he's the kind of person you would follow somewhere else. If they went to do something else, you would follow them. Right. And I actually did. Um, he left to go start his own sit down restaurant and I followed him and I worked with him for another four years, which was the second best job I've ever had. So I am completely confident that this guy has been for so many people, the best boss they've ever had. In fact, I still go back to the restaurant that where I used to work, what has it been? 20, 22, 23 years ago now. And there are still three people that I used to work with that still work there. So again, there are people who like they're lifers, like that's just what they want to do for, for their career and for their life. But they could have gone to do that at any other restaurant and probably make more money and work their way up to, you know, higher up, you know, higher scale restaurants and whatever, but they've chosen to stay there. And it's because of the environment that this guy created. So that was sort of my first little, taste of what this kind of job can be. And I didn't think about it back then. Cause I was, you know, like in my late teens and early twenties, but when I started getting after college, when I started getting, you know, these real jobs and it didn't feel like that, I was like, I don't get it. Like, you know, for that age kid, I was making a decent amount of money. I had the, you know, the company credit card I had, I was traveling, I was doing like all the things that from the outside looking in, make it seem like a great job, but I didn't love it. 
And so that's when I kind of started to make this connection of, oh, it's not all the things that you get. It's what it feels like to work there. Um, and so fast forward a few years and I had the opportunity to, um, in 2009, I, I joined Simon Sinek's team. There's a bit of a story to that we can get into if you want to, but it's not that important. Um, but obviously now I was like immersed in this world of culture and leadership and finding meaning and purpose in our work and like all this stuff that it's like, oh, like all of a sudden those experiences that I had had leading up to that point, all of a sudden everything started to fall into place and make sense. And now I had some language for it. And now I could start thinking about it and talking about it and, and giving that language to other people so that they could understand, like, I'm in this great job that pays me well. I, you know, like I get tons of great perks and benefits that like all, it checks all the boxes, but I'm exhausted and unhappy at the end of the day. And so to be able to share with them this new perspective and this new idea of, you know, that there's more to work than that. There's the human aspect, right? There's the relationships, there's the trust, there's the connection, there's the meaning, there's the purpose, there's the fulfillment, all those things help to sort of fill that gap that people were feeling. So I was able to do that uh, on Simon's team for 10 years. Uh, and then in December of 2019, I stepped away to do my own thing. And uh, I, I still talk about similar things, but my main message is about how do we, no matter what our role or our title is, how do I call it, how do we lift where we stand? How do we take personal responsibility to positively contribute to the cultures we're a part of? Mm. How do we become the kind of person who people want to trust and want to connect with? How do we work on and, and refine our own characters so that we show up in a way where we attract people, whether we have a leadership title or not, we all have influence, right? There are certain people who you want to be around and certain people who you are leery of, Right. Um, so how do we become the kind of person that exudes that trust, that connection, that, um, that sense of, of team and belonging and, and those kind of things? Because when you do those things, things that every single successful company cares about go up. Performance goes up. Innovation goes up. Retention goes up. Well-being goes up. All these things that they're concerned about increasing happens naturally when you have an environment of trust and human connection. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And it's like, everyone's working towards that common goal, that common vision, which obviously makes, as you mentioned, everything go up, but I want to go back a little bit to the, to the bagel shop. I think that's really cool that you brought that up because I always think of culture as more, you know, white collar company type thing. And you brought up like a, a whole different example. And like my first job, I was working at a grocery store and same thing. Like I had a great boss. Um, and I still think about that today. And it's like, all I was doing was literally just bagging old ladies groceries and scanning and boom, he was a great boss. So like, can you elaborate on that a little bit? I think that's a cool story. Yeah. The, and this is something actually that I bring up a lot when I, when I give talks, for example, I ask people at the very beginning, I don't even tell them my, my bagel story, uh, yet. Right. But I ask them a question, think of your favorite job. Give them a second to think about it. And then I ask a couple of questions. Was it the job that paid you the most? Mm. Raise your hand if it was. And yeah, a couple of people will raise their hands, right? Um, it, was it the one where you had the highest level of authority or, or power? Almost no hands go up. 
um, was it the one that gave you the best perks or the best benefits or the blah, 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 like fill in the blank. Was it the job that gave you the best X, Y, Z for the most part, nobody's raising their hands. And I asked them, okay, tell me about these favorite jobs. Uh, I was a camp counselor. I was a lifeguard. Um, I was a bartender. I was a, you know, whatever it was. And, and sometimes they're like, you know, real careers, like nursing, you know, these things, but most of the time it's these kind of bagel shop jobs. It's these jobs that we, you know, we knew were not going to turn into anything fantastic, but those are the ones that stick with us. And then I asked them, okay, what was it about that job? And invariably it's something about, uh, it, it spoke to my values. It allowed me to, to bring my values to life. It was mm. somewhere where I could really serve and help other people. And I love doing that. Um, it was somewhere where it, there was some meaning to it for me. All of these emotions, these human things that we care about and that we look for everywhere else in our lives, but that is so often missing in a corporate environment or a standard, you know, career type job. That's what these people were finding in these, you know, part-time, sometimes menial or, you know, what might seem like a silly, silly position. So if I think about that and I, and I say, okay, if it's possible in a job like that, that we know is not going to go anywhere, then why in the world can't it be possible with the same human beings in a corporation? Mm. Like what's different? Granted, you know, there's more pressure there. You have, you know, public versus private companies. You have the, um, you know, shareholder pressure, you have targets to hit, you're hired because of your ability to perform. Whereas bag and groceries, it's like, yeah, if you don't work out, they'll just hire somebody else, right? It's no big deal. So we, we have in our minds that the stakes are higher, you know, in a, in a real job. And so oftentimes those things take priority. And these other things that absolutely matter to us just sort of get thrown on the back burner. And they're nice to haves, but you know what? That's not, I mean, that's kind of airy fairy, mushy stuff that doesn't really bring results. And my message is it, it absolutely does bring results. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and it's like, I love that you threw it back to, to that situation a little bit. I got to ask though, what, what was the, uh, the fav favorite bagel that you had when you were there and everything? Um, had to be cinnamon raisin. Um, but dude, I made a, turkey sandwich on what did i make it on uh i think i might have just gone you know sort of purist with the plain bagel but i could make a mean sandwich buddy yeah <laughs> you have to like <laughs> shoot me a recipe or something over <laughs> on like the proper format and all that stuff so yeah no that's cool so um simon Sinek, you know i've read uh start with why um watched his ted talk you know like probably everyone else listen to this so i'm not special but uh, you said it was kind of an interesting story how you guys started working together, right? Yeah. So I, um, once I sort of figured out that I, I really enjoyed the sort of the training aspect um, of work, I got started getting jobs as, as a corporate trainer. And so I had a couple jobs doing corporate training and um, I, I joined a company here locally, a little startup that hired me as their director of training. And I was a week into the job and they said, we're getting together next Tuesday night. Uh, we're having a guest speaker come in. We're just going to have our team kind of get together, do a little team building night. Um, can you come? And I had just started uh, MBA school and that was a school night. And I'm one of those nerds that like never missed 
school growing yeah. up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so I was like, oh man, I don't want to miss school, but I've only been here a week. So I want to make a good impression and let them know that I'm like committed and all that stuff. So I was like, yeah, I'll come. So some dude named Simon Sinek showed up. Um, yeah, this was 2009. Whoa. So no Ted talk yet. No book. Yes. They, those both came out later on in the year. Um, this was March. So um, he came and spoke to our little team of 15 people. Um, and I, and again, he, at that point, really the, the message he was focusing on was start with why and the golden circle and stuff that most people are familiar with from his first Ted talk. Um, and I heard him speak and I was like, yeah, I'm, like, I know that already, but he just put into language what I knew and I didn't know how to talk about myself. And so mm. all of a sudden it was like, oh, like now I understand why I've loved and done really well at some jobs that didn't seem like, again, looking from the outside, didn't seem like they'd be the best job ever. And when I haven't done well at jobs where, again, they checked all the boxes, like now I understand what that is. So I essentially, I stole his idea and I wrote it down into the training curriculum that I was writing for this company because I was doing the sales training there. Uh, and he came back two or three times to do some consulting with us and, you know, work with us and stuff. So I gave him a copy of the training manual that I had written just to show him what he had inspired, you know? Um, and I didn't expect him to read it and he didn't, but the other gal that worked with him at the time, um, she did and she showed it to him and, and they were both just really surprised that I could hear him speak once and turn it into something. And so they said, Hey, we're, we're putting together an online course. Um, do you want to come help us put that together? Cause it seems like you have a knack for taking his ideas and turning it into stuff, uh, which he, by his own admission struggles with. So I said, sure. So I would wake up, um, they were in New York. And so we had a couple hour time difference. So I would wake up in the morning and work with them for a couple hours before I would go to my full-time job. Oh wow! So, and, and it was awesome because I was learning all of this new stuff and sort of getting this shift in mindset and taking all that information and dumping it on this company that I was working for and saying, Hey, look at all the cool stuff we can do with our culture. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. And I mean, once the, once the online course was done, uh, he had me, you know, answering emails and, you know, doing downloadable PDFs and doing website content. And like, we, there were only three of us at the time. So, you know, we had no clue what we were doing. We were just trying to patch all this stuff together. Right. Um, and of course, by then his first book and Ted talk had come out. And so people were starting to, you know, get to know who he was a little bit. Um, and so this is 2011 by this time. And the, the company where I was working, the full-time job that I had, they, I don't know, they just didn't really get it. Um, and so they weren't willing to continue to pay me to try to create this culture that I wanted to create and they didn't care about. So they let me go. Um, and so I called Simon and I was like, Hey, you got some spare time. You got anything else for me to do? Right. So he brought me on full-time at that point, And then, um, for the rest of the, my time there, I was out speaking on his behalf, running workshops all over the planet and uh, just sharing as, as new books and new ideas sort of uh, came out of his brain. Um, I was out there helping to, to share those with people all over the place. So it was awesome. Yeah, I think what that goes to show is what can happen if you kind of go that extra mile, right? Um, because you were taking the notes from the PowerPoint and really just trying your best. And then boom, look what happened. You were given that opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I sort of created my own job. Um, so I, back up to, to 2011 again. And again, it's been a couple of years since his book and Ted talk are out. And so, you know, he's, he's getting out there a bit and I was answering all the email that was coming in and we were getting, I don't know, 20 requests or so every week for him to come speak. And obviously there's no way that he could field all those requests. You know, some people didn't have a budget or, you know, timing didn't work out or conflicted with another event that he had or whatever. And I thought, man, what a bummer. Like there's so many people. And back then 20 requests was a lot um, for him, but there's so many people that want this message in their organizations and they're not getting it. So I called him and I said, Hey, we're getting like 20 requests a week for you to go speak. There's obviously no way you can do all those crazy idea. What if you let me go out and take some of these gigs that you don't want to do, or you can't do, or they don't have a budget or whatever. And there was silence on the other end of the line. No way. He was just like, uh, and he goes, <laughs> David, I'm disappointed. Whoa. And I was like, crap. Cause at this point I'm still like intimidated by yeah, silence. Yeah, yeah. You know? So I was like, crap, I totally blew it. And he's like, I'm disappointed. You didn't think of that sooner. It's a great idea. So <laughs> I was like, so he's like, go get some practice. And so I went to, I mean, I'd been in front of, you know, groups before in a sort of a training setting, but I'd never done keynotes before. So I went out to every rotary club and chamber of commerce and any group that would come let me speak for free for, you know, 15 minutes while they were eating lunch. Uh, And I did that for almost a year, I think. And then I got my first paid gig. So that, um, you know, I, it, it, it was, it, it was a great opportunity. And, you know, obviously once I started doing that, because I was connected with Simon, things started falling in my lap, but sort of the genesis of that was, yeah, me reaching out and being like, Hey, I see a need here. How can I help to fill it? And, um, I think that the key really was showing up in, in the spirit of, Hey, I've got a way for me to make a lot more money working here. It wasn't that it was, Hey, there are a lot of people who want this message that aren't getting it. And so I think that mindset was really important as to how that offer or how that request for, for this new role I was creating for myself came across. What, so were you, when you were doing the free speaking engagements, were you talking about Simon's message, golden circle, start with why and all that stuff? Yep. Yeah. So uh, he how- gave me permission to use it just again, to practice because I needed to get really familiar with, uh, yeah, with the, get the reps in. Yeah. How many free ones did you do until you got a paid one? ballpark probably i don't know a dozen gotcha cool yeah i'm 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 asking selfishly because i'm kind of breaking into the speaking world and then a lot of the listeners are are kind of doing some free engagements right now or maybe their first few paid ones so was just kind of curious about your your approach there and everything i would say i mean and and that's i think that's only because uh there were requests already coming in so as soon as i was practiced and ready to go like there was, there was stuff ready for me to go. Yeah. If I were to start on my own, I would say I would probably have to do closer to, I don't know, 50 before. Yeah. And dude, I'll, honestly, um, with the, the pandemic the last couple of years, which completely obliterated the speaking market for, a, you know, most speakers. I mean, um, it's, it was been really tough for a lot of us. I've started doing free stuff again mm. and, you got to let go of your ego and be, and rather than thinking, Oh my gosh, I used to get flown all over the world and paid X amount of money and stay in, you know, five-star hotels to go speak for an hour and, you know, make this 
this paycheck, you got to let go of that and just be like, what's more important, your ego or the message? So mm. I'm getting out there and I, I, I'm happy to share my, my message with people because the more I share it, and I'll, I'll say this to you and any, anybody else who, you know, in your audience who's, who's listening and thinking about doing the same thing, saying it out loud and seeing where the holes are and seeing what questions you get and, you know, practicing new stuff as you have new ideas, introducing it, seeing how it lands, what are the reactions that people have is so valuable. And yeah, I mean, you're not getting paid anything for it, but man, it just, it makes you better and it improves your craft. Yeah, I agree. Like I, I went to Clemson and I did a free engagement there and it was smaller. Right. But I had so many people come and do Q and a after like, just raise a hand, ask some questions. And I took so many mental notes and then literally was able to make like 20 LinkedIn posts out of their questions and turn it into like some creative content. So there's also like some ROI, I guess that you don't even see from the free stuff. Totally. And I think that's where, yeah, I mean, that's where thinking a little bit differently about don't see it as a, as a, as a cost to you, man, like it's a huge benefit. Yeah. 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 Let me, let me ask you one more question just about your journey. And then I want to dive uh, into the whole culture aspect. So you obviously worked for Simon and then jumped and did your own thing. So what was that process like? And like, what advice would you have for others? Cause I assume it wasn't like, let me just take the golden circle and start with why and add like one tiny snippet. And now I'm running my own thing. Like what, what was that like for you? Right. The, so it was a really, really strange feeling for the first few weeks because um, first of all, Simon was really, really careful about who he would allow to represent him and go speak on his behalf. So we had a, a small handful of people who ended up doing what I did. Um, and, and it wasn't like we all had to say the exact same thing. That wasn't it at all. It was just keeping the, the message pure because there were so many people out there talking about why in a, I wouldn't say the wrong way most of the time, although some ways, sometimes it was like completely just not correct at all, but people had their own interpretation of it. Right. And so, um, where was I going with this thought, Chris? Uh, oh, so it was, I mean, we had our own stories and our own experiences and we shared it in, in our own way, but the core of the message was absolutely spot on. No matter who was delivering it on our team, it came across very consistently. Hmm. So there was always that thing in my mind of every time I, I gave a talk, I was like, all right, I've got to make sure I stay within these parameters to make sure that the message stays pure. Right. So when I went out on my own, there was, I remember one day sitting in my office, I was like, I can say whatever I want. Like it was the weirdest feeling to think like, right. I, I can just talk about what I want to talk about now. Right. And it's not that I didn't want to talk about Simon's stuff, right. but it was just such a, a, a weirdly liberating feeling to say, just to ask myself, what do I want to talk about? And so it took me quite, and I'm still refining my message, but um, I started, I, I thought about how do I want to approach this? And I thought, okay, I've never been a CEO. I have never led teams of dozens or hundreds of people. I've led a couple of small teams in my career. Um, there was a huge amount of, especially in the beginning days of working with Simon, there was this huge amount of imposter syndrome where I was like, I'm standing in front of a room of CEOs 
I have never been them. I've never done their job. I don't know all the stuff that they're dealing with. And so try, I mean, reconciling that for me was really hard, but you know, over 10 years working with Simon and now a couple of years on my own, I've had enough conversations and I've been in enough meetings and I've been in enough organizations and observed enough stuff to know what great leadership looks like, what bad leadership looks like. And, you know, I can, I can speak to it in that way, even though I've never been in that situation myself, because I have the experience of observation and, you know, and, and those experiences. But I thought what I'd rather do is I want to speak from my own experience of being led because I've done a lot of that. And I've been on the receiving end of some really great leadership. And I've been on the receiving end of some really crappy leadership. And when I think about the crappy end, I thought, I don't ever want anybody else to have to go through that. So how do I take that crappy experience and turn it into the positive opposite of that? So I can go in and talk about what to do rather than what not to do, because that just, that, that brings people down rather, rather than something that can lift them up. Right. So I just, I started thinking about, again, my bagel shop uh, experience, all the other jobs that I've had. And as I started thinking about, I don't want to, I don't know how much detail you want me to get into here, but essentially I'm sharing what I've observed and what I've experienced. Mm. So I, I look at it sort of as a triangle, right? There's the, there's the, the brain science, which everybody loves, right? We're, we're, you know, hardwired to think like this and do this. And then the way our brain and our, our body works, you know, is, is with these chemicals and stuff. People love that. So I draw on that a little bit. There's the, the data, right? The case studies and the HBR articles and the research and all the stuff that shows what makes great culture and leadership and all that stuff. So those two things, a lot of people rely heavily on, but what I found is missing often for people is that third point of the triangle, which is the heart. Meaning if I can help people identify a specific experience that they've had where they can feel what I'm talking about, that's what makes it real for them, right? The data and the science, that's great. And I draw on those things too, because that helps to you know convince people or to sort of back up what I'm saying. But when you can get people to identify, oh my gosh, I felt that exact same thing that you're talking about in a job I had three years ago. I know exactly what that feels like. That's what gets people to, to connect with this idea and to realize, oh my gosh, am I, am I, what kind of a situation am I in now? How am I feeling? And how can I contribute to my culture to make sure that other people don't feel like that crappy feeling I had three years ago that he just talked about? So I try to you know, use those sort of three connection points, but I rely really heavily on that individual experience. Yeah, I was going to say, is that is that how you broke the imposter syndrome of just relying on that experience and emotional connection there? Yeah. Cool. And, you know, I mean, I stopped. It's not that I ever, I mean, I never flat out told people that I had been in their position because I, yeah. I hadn't been. And that wouldn't, that, you know, that was lying, obviously. But I stopped thinking that I don't have enough experience. I haven't done what they have. I, I don't have, I don't have, I'm not, I'm, you know, I, I let all that stuff go. And I thought what do I have? I I mean, I have had this unique opportunity that most people on the planet have not had to get a little glimpse of about 250 companies on five continents and see what's working and what's not. And I've learned to pick up on little cues and little things that 
patterns that happen when there's when there when culture is and leadership is being done right. I see the same kind of things. And when culture is suffering and people hate their jobs, there are certain things that come up. So again, it's observation and that kind of experience that I draw into what I've got. And I have a huge amount of that experience and, and observation that I can share with people that is backed up in the science and the data. So it's like, it's not like it's just take my word for it. It's like, I can prove to you that that's how it works if I have to, but I'd rather have you connect with it on, on an individual level. Yeah. Cause people are getting thrown data and stuff all the time. It's like, Oh my God, another chart, but it's like, nah, you're, you're really adding some emotion to it and all that and really making people feel like they're there, which I like really want a bagel now, by the way, cause you brought up the <laughs> store like five times. <laughs> so, oh, that's funny. Um, but no, so, so you talked about like, hate your job, the amount of people I talk to, and I am fortunate to know, like a lot of people just come involved in a lot of different networking things and all that. It's like the amount of people I talk to that hate their job is like unreal. And it's like, what is the issue there? I mean, would you mind expanding on that? I think the, I, I touched on it a little bit earlier, but the issue that I see is uh, now that I'm saying that there are so many, uh, let me see where I want to start. I think the first thing that came to mind, and then I'll, I'll share a couple of the other things are the, the day-to-day pressures that we face, right? Mm-hmm. When I get people in a room, when we're at a conference or they're sort of, you know, setting work aside for a day or a few hours or going offsite or whatever it is where they can sort of set everything to the side and they're in this sort of vacuum of, okay, now we're talking about leadership and culture. Everybody comes up with the right answers. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows what they should be doing. This is not, I'm not sharing new information with people. And it's so easy to talk about it in a vacuum. But then as soon as you go back to work, you've got, you know, an inbox of 250 emails. You got a client jumping down your throat. You got a boss who's expecting certain numbers by the end of the month. You got all these pressures that are, and all of a sudden, all that stuff we just talked about just goes, and it's like in the back of your mind, because all this stuff is more important. So I think a lot of it is those the pressures that we either put on ourselves or are placed on us by other people because there's, we're not aligned on what's really important. And it's not that the numbers and the deadlines and the emails aren't important, of course they are, but in the context of what? Like, is it so important that we have to give people stress and anxiety and depression mm. at, at work? Is it that important? And in so many companies, oh, we put, our, we put our people first, but then we beat them over the head for these results and it's keeping them up at night and they're, you know, showed up with a complete, ball of stress. Yeah. Is that putting your people first? And so I think, again, we, we sort of feel like we can have one or the other, we can have a really productive, efficient organization that gets results at the expense of our people. Cause we got to push them hard to get those results. Or we can have this, you know, huggy, lovey, kumbaya type of culture where everybody's happy, but nothing's going to get done. And that is absolutely not correct. You take care of your people. You, give them reasonable uh, expectations for what they're accountable for. You give them a reason and a meaning and a purpose to show up to work, something that they actually care about. And 
wow, it's like magic. All of a sudden their performance goes up and all of a sudden they have lower stress and all of a sudden they want to collaborate and work with their team. Like it's just, it's a result of taking care of people first. So the pressure, the daily pressures and the environment that we create and what we tell ourselves is most important is one thing. I'll pause there because you, you, I think you had something to say, but that's one thing that keeps people from doing this. Yeah, yeah, and I like, don't want you to lose your point, what you were going to bring up next about the environment, but man, totally agree with you about the pressure. I think it's all these companies say in their mission statement or on their glass door or whatever, their interviews even like, oh, we put people first, we put people first. And then it's like, if you look at how the employees are actually working and having this fear of like checking the email every five minutes and what the, what the conference is like, I've been to so many of those and the amount of people, as soon as you have a breakout session that pull out their phone and immediately start checking their email is like insane. And I'm like, dude, you're not over here as like a heart surgeon trying to like do surgery on your phone or anything. Like you're literally probably just checking your email to see if your boss sent you something like, relax. Yeah. Uh, yeah. and it's like good company shouldn't put that pressure on you where you immediately feel like right after you get out of the meeting or the, the conference in your case, you got to check the email. Same with clients. It's like, if you got good clients, they shouldn't put that pressure on you as like, Oh, I got to respond right away. You know, one of the things that we talked about a lot, because I used to do a lot of um, conferences for leaders of people, right? So they had teams that were working while they were at this conference. And one of the things that happens all the time, just like you said, is when you have a break, the, the boss will get on their phone and they'll check in with their team. How's it going? Do you need anything? Like, stop doing that. Say, I'm going to be gone for the entire day. I'm not going to be checking my phone. Whatever comes up, you got it. Like how much more empowering does that feel to be able to know that your boss trusts you to take care of whatever little things come up during the day? And granted, if there's like some earth shattering thing, fine, reach out. But, or, or they're at this conference and they're like every 45 minutes, they're checking in with me. Like, do they not trust me that I can do my job that they hired me for? Right. You know, so it's, yeah, I mean, there's so many things around that, that, that we can just little adjustments that we can make that make things feel different at work. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And that, yeah, it's, we could probably talk a whole podcast just about the whole pressure and everything, but uh, <laughs> I, I want you to talk about the environment a little bit too. So this will lead into the, the second thing that I see happening a lot. Um, and I, I have boiled it down to a work problem only because I see it as a much more global problem. I see it as a problem other people might not. We live in, at least you and I live in a, in a society where I feel, and I, I know we're not the only ones around the, around the world, but this is where I have the most experience. So this is what I talk about. We live in a society that is so skeptical of everyone, especially somebody who's trying to be nice to you. Give you an example, right? I was walking home the other day and um, down the street about 50 yards and around the corner, there's, uh, so I can't see the guy's house from my house because he's around the corner from me, but he is literally three doors away from me. I had never met this neighbor before. So I'm walking home down his street before I turn onto mine and, and he's outside. And I was like, oh, cool. I 
finally get to meet my neighbor because he's outside and I don't want to make it weird before I go knock on his door. And I'm usually driving by. And so I'm not going to stop and knock on his door. So he's out working on his sprinkler system. And I walked up to him and I had a shoulder bag on and I said, Hey neighbor, how you doing? And he looked at me like with this skeptical look and he's like reasonably well. And I was like, Hey, I'm David. I'm your neighbor. He's like, what do you mean by neighbor? Right? Like he was convinced that I'm like some door-to-door sales guy, like trying to, you know, butter him up to sell him something. And that's the kind of society we live in. And granted, I get it. Depending on where you live and what your experience is and and your upbringing and that kind of stuff, we have to have a certain level of self-protection. Right? And I, 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 I get that and I respect that. But in general, when somebody tries to reach out and do something kind or nice, we, we so often have this mentality of, what do you want from me? What, what, are you gonna, what, are you, what are you trying to sell me, right? So if you boil that down to the, just the, the work environment, I think what happens so often is there's such a level of skepticism. We're not sure who we can trust and who we can't. We're not sure who's being nice to us just to advance their career or like we're skeptical of people. And so what we do is we put up this facade, right? And we pretend like we're happy at work. We pretend like we have it all figured out. We know all the answers. We have all the experience that it says on our resume that, you know, we're, we're, we're good. We're fine. We all, oh, we love our team, but inside we are like, I hate this place and I don't trust anybody. And so when everybody's walking around like that with this facade up, we are never actually going to get to know the person behind the facade. And if you don't get to know somebody, you can't care about them. If you don't care about them, you're not going to trust them. And if you don't trust them, you're not going to talk to them. You're not going to share information, share ideas, share praise, share acknowledgement, any of that stuff. You're going to go into self-preservation mode. You're going to show up to work, do what's best for you. Watch your own back. Cause you don't know who else is going to do it. And we walk around you know, kind of in these individual little pods of, of self-protection bumping into each other throughout the day, but not actually building relationships with the people we work with. That's the second thing I see keeping us from doing this is we are so afraid to let our guard down and, and be open about the fact that we made a mistake or that we have a question or that we're not sure about something or, and I, I want to propose an idea might be stupid, but, and it might not work, but I want to, I want to say this because it's, it's on my head. Hmm. When we're not able to do those things again, uh, performance goes down, innovation goes down, retent, all those things that I talked about before requires trust and human connection. When we don't have those things, you're, you're going to, you're going to be hard pressed to have a, a, a culture and a, an organization that works as efficiently and as productively as you want it to. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think when you're in that bubble, you miss out on so much uh, of your full potential, right? Cause it's like, Oh, I have this idea. I have this innovation or let's do this. And it's like, if you live in a kind of a scarcity mindset, because the leaders have instilled that it's like, man, you're going to be missing out on a lot of stuff. Dude, Chris, it is unbelievable how, just a, sharing a tiny little bit of who you are as a human being, like not even anything that would be embarrassing, but just a, an experience in your life that was really, really meaningful to you. When you get a group of people, and I, we do this with teams all the time, is 
we, we try to get them to open up and talk about what matters to them, what they care about, what they believe in, what they, you know, what gets them up in the morning. And when you have a group of people that start to open up and share those things, I have had people who have worked next to the person for 20 years that said, I had no idea that that, that ever happened to you. The amount of trust and connection that is born out of a session like that or out of an experience. And you don't even have to make it a formalized session, but even at the beginning of a meeting, right? Kind of make it a thing that you're going to ask one person on the team to share something like that question. Again, not embarrassing, not threatening, but tell me about something that you've done in the last five years. that was just so exciting. Like it made you giggle, right? When people start sharing stuff like that, Oh my gosh, I, that same thing. I, I had an experience just like that, right? It's like immediate connection. It's unbelievable how much that changes over time, how much that changes the tone of the team. You're not all of a sudden just people who work at the same place. Now you're people who work together. Yeah, and you're people that share a common interest. Like someone could say, oh, that one time snowboarding in Utah and someone else like, dude, no way. Like I did the same thing. Yeah. Like, and then boom, you have that connection. That's yeah. just going to Then come. you're like snowboard buddies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're, sno- you're not just accounting buddies now. You're, you're snowboard yeah. buddies who do accounting. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, oh, that's funny. Um, let me ask you this. And I, I'm sure you give hour long keynotes on this. Um, but like if a company is stuck with their culture, they know that it's kind of going in that, that negative direction. I mean, what are some quick things they could do to turn around? And like, I say this, because I'm sure you talked like three hours about this, but like, I would love for you maybe just to give a quick few, like I would try this, this, this type of thing, just from like a time perspective, you know? It, I mean, it really depends on the, on the culture and the context. I mean, what I, what I say isn't going to work for everybody. Yeah. Um, But in general, I would tell people to, rather than trying to, to do something external, like work on yourself. Mm. And there are three traits that I, that I bring up over and over and over again. Um, and just quickly where they came from is as I looked at all of the incredible leadership that I have experienced and observed over the, these last 12, 13 years, um, I made a list of what are the traits and characteristics of all of these incredible leaders. And on the other end of the spectrum, when, when I was not, observing great leadership, uh, what did I notice? And they're obviously polar opposites, right? The, the, the characteristics are polar opposites. So I took these couple dozen positive attributes and I thought, okay, that's impossible for everybody to remember. How do I boil those down into something that's a little bit more memorable? And so what I found is that I look for patterns and what, where is their alignment and what couple of things, you know, what things can kind of group together. And I came up with three traits that again, these are very personal things that when we strive to be these things through daily practice and daily behaviors, that is what uh, allows environments of trust and human connection, which leads to all the great things we talked about, right? And so those three traits are honesty, humility, and humanity. So I'll give you just a brief definition for each one, right? Um, Honesty, again, to me, the way that I define it is when your behavior is in alignment with what you say you believe. And as a sort of a a sub 
definition to that is because we're human and we're going to screw it up. When we veer off course and our actions are not in line with what we tell people we believe, we're honest enough to recognize that we veered off course and we do the work to come back and get back in alignment again. Mm. So honesty, if you wanted to put it into a, you know, a, a, a trite little statement, it would be practice what you preach, be honest about what you say your values are. And this goes for individuals as well as companies. Right. But I, I kind of try to help people focus on work on yourself first, but as long as you are sharing what you stand for, what you believe in, and then following through with actions that actually prove that, that is one of the biggest things that's going to boost trust and, and connection uh, among the people that you influence. Humility um, is, you know, all the obvious stuff of kind of dropping our ego or having a healthy relationship with that ego. Um, but it really boils down to two things for me. One is being willing to admit our weaknesses without getting defensive because that's a natural tendency that we have. But when we sort of block people telling us what we can do better, that doesn't build trust and connection, right? People think, oh, he's never going to change. He's not willing to learn. He's not willing to grow, whatever it is. Um, and that's that's one part of humility. The second part, which is something I don't think we talk about very often, is humility is not about being weak or meek or less than or inferior, which is it's so often seen that way in a business context and they don't get it. But it's not that. Humility also is about recognizing the strengths that we have, the talents, the gifts, the experience, the authority, the access to resources, all of these things that we might have, we should be confident about our, the accomplishments that we've had and the things that we've done to gain those things. But here's the kicker. The, the, humil- the humble part of it comes in when we don't use those things to lift ourselves up, but we use all of those things to help lift up the people around us. Mm. When we could use all those things for our own personal gain and we choose to turn around and do it for somebody else, that's humility. It's what I call humble confidence, right? Um, humanity, the third one, is really about having a genuine care and concern for the human experience that we provide to other people. How do we see them and hear them? How do we make them feel valued and valuable? How do we see the individual or the human being behind the employee? Um, or behind whoever it is, whatever their role or their title or their function is, how do we look past that and see the individual human in there who is hurting, who is passionate, who's excited, who's whatever it is, and getting in and and empathizing and understanding and having compassion for their human experience. Mm. So when you combine all three of those things, if you think of the honest, uh, honesty, humility, and humanity sort of as a Venn diagram, what you get in the middle is trust and connection. Mm. When you show up in those ways, you have to have all three. You can't just pick and choose and, you know, have one and not the others. If you want trust and connection, you have to practice all three of those things. And it's not just showing, you know, waking up one day and thinking, okay, I'm going to be honest, humble, and human today. It's what does that look like in your actions and your behaviors? How do you manifest that that's what you're striving to become? And as a last little kicker, you don't get to call yourself any of those things, right? I'm pretty much the most humble person I know. Said no humble person ever, right? We don't get to call ourselves those things. Those things only become true when other people choose to define us using those words. 
like uh, never give yourself a nickname, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but even, even 10 times more important. No, man, I, I love it. You mentioned that. So it's honesty, humility, and humanity, right? Was the three. And then when you have those three, as you said, triangle in that case, it's trust and connection form because of those, correct? Yep. Cool. Yeah. I just wanted to quickly summarize that for the reader, uh, for the listeners, just to make sure that they obviously understood that. Um, no, that that's huge. And I think, uh, I think it's, those things are just not a, Hey, I'm gonna wake up as you mentioned and do this today. I think as, as you could probably agree, right. It's a deliberate practice. I mean, a lot of people for me are, I'm, I'm very, you know, I have a lot of clarity. Um, a lot of people are like, how'd you get that? You just wake up one day. I'm like, no, like it's been a deliberate two year practice of like asking myself, what makes me happy? What do I like? Why do I like it? Uh, and I would assume it's the kind of the same process for those three H words. Correct. Yeah. And, and I would say it's, um, I mean, it's a, it's a, I call it a daily pursuit. Right. And, um, the, to me, building habits around those things is critical. I mean, you can think about it all you want. You can write it down all you want, but until you actually make a habit of it, um, it it really doesn't move the needle. One of the things that I've started doing over the last probably four months is I give myself triggers, right? So every time my trigger is when I walk through a doorway and I do it really well at home. And sometimes when I'm out, I, I, I forget because it's, it's not my regular, you know, routine, but whenever I walk through a doorway, I will tell myself, I've, I've got all my, my values, right. And they're written as verbs, they're written as actions. Um, and I will, every time I walk through a doorway, I pick one value for the week and I repeat in my mind that value. And I, I repeat it to myself in my head every time I walk through a doorway. So I'm, I'm getting this dozens or hundreds of times a week. And it, the more you say it, the more it gets into your subconscious and the more likely you are to start doing it because you're, it's on top of mind all the time. Yeah. What, what are those values? If you don't mind me asking. Um, I just, I do, this is an evolution and I just revamped them yesterday. Right. Oh. Um, Cause and it's not like a, they're completely different. It's just tweaking them and changing the language a little bit and the kind of stuff. So um, my values are show up to give nice. uh, preach what you practice which means do it first before you talk about it, drop the act, which goes in line with this thing of dropping that facade and letting people see who you really are. Um, And then pursue daily progress. Mm. So you've got to do this every single day. You've got to learn, grow, refine, and repeat every day. Yeah. I like the last one a lot. Pursue daily progress. I mean, we're recording in May. I'm doing a 30 day May challenge of gym every day, gallon of water, read a few other things. And it's like, boom, every day I'm like pursuing that best version of myself and everything. Yeah, for sure. But, uh, but David, this was awesome. Uh, I'm sure we could talk for a while. I'm really passionate about culture and everything. So I, uh, I would love to keep talking, but I definitely want to keep the <laughs> listeners in mind and everything. I'm no Joe Rogan with four hour episodes. Or anything, so. <laughs> um, but I do want to ask, you know, what, what would be your one word, uh, just to describe kind of your journey, the success that you've had and everything like that. Jeez. One word. Um, I hate these questions, Chris. Hold on. Yeah, give me a second to think about it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be kind of lazy and I'll use a word for my own personal purpose, which is propel. 
right? I'm always moving forward. And when I, when I fall down, when, you know, things don't go right, I'm like, what can I do to propel myself forward? What can I get to get back on the horse? And it's not just for me, like this journey is, is, it's not about me. I mean, I, I feel like I have ideas that excite me, but what really gets me out of bed is propelling other people forward. Um, and so propel is my word. Um, it's the name of my company. It's the stuff I got on my desk. Oh, that's cool. You know, to remind me that's what I do. And I'm at my best as I'm propelling. Yeah, no, that's cool. I like you, how you have, uh, if anyone's watching this video segment, I like how you have the little propel, uh, right there as well. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, but now man, wh where can people uh, connect with you and everything? So, um, website is davidjmead.com. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, same name at David J. Mead. And then, uh, the, I'll, I'll give you a link for the, for the show notes that will give a lot of, a lot more information. Yeah. Awesome. Well, David, this was a fantastic episode. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be on the show and everything. Thank you, Chris. Fun talking to you. Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks again for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to connect with David. And other than that, hope everyone has a fantastic week ahead.